0: Well, it is a real privilege to be sharing God's word with you today. I'm going to be speaking out of the book of Job and we're going to be looking at the issue of suffering and the wisdom of God. Well, the book of Job it is a, it's a poetic book and we're going to be looking at the first two chapters, which really are the prologue and set the scene for the rest of this book. And let's jump straight into it. If you want to get your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read verse 1, then move on to verse 6 through 12. But keep your Bible with you as we'll be turning back and referring to it throughout. And I'll start with chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Let's go to verse 6. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch your hand out and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands only against him do not stretch out your hand so satan went out from the presence of the lord it's the reading of god's word well if we learn anything in the in the last few months even is that we have to forego any thoughts of exceptionalism as a nation and adopt a posture of humility the reality is that there is no way to boldly walk through this pandemic untouched unscathed, unaffected. It is indiscriminate in many ways. It affects all of us. And and while we may have relative power and economic power and and political power in this country, the main defences we really do have are are three things. The ability to socially distance, to wear protective gear, protective clothing, and to wash and sanitise your hands. I mean, that is all we really do have. Well, the issue of suffering is that It can often come about in ways which are just unbeknown to us, outside of our control and can be a real challenge. And and, and this is the story that that, that we come across in the book of Job. Well, it's important for us to note that there are three factors or, or three powers even that can be at work and can bring about suffering in our lives. And they are the work of the flesh, the world and the devil. Say so again the flesh, the world, and the devil. And I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 3, which really does illustrate this for us. And I'll and I'll point out those three vices. And it and it reads, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, who is the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there we see it, the flesh, the world and the devil. But I guess what Job, the book of Job does, specifically the first two chapters is it doesn't allow us to overemphasize any one of those three. Because if we do, that doesn't give us an adequate picture to the problem of suffering that we face. It's a bit more complicated than that. We know the culture of this world has many redeemable traits, but often it can move in a direction which walks away from God. We also want to be under no illusion, which the book of Job clearly shows us that Satan can be directly involved in our suffering. And I guess lastly, we know that we have desires and passions, many are good, but the passage in Ephesians 2 specifically, the context is looking at those passions, those desires that, that run counter to the will of God. And if we're really, really honest with ourselves, we know that we have those. We, we wrestle with them all the time. Well, I've been blessed with two amazing children, Jonah and Ayera. Um, Ayera's only been born a few weeks ago, actually. Um, Jonah, he's three and a half years. He's a lovely boy. I love him so much. He he's so warm, so tender, so caring. Um, but he's also a toddler. Uh, that says it all, doesn't it? He's a toddler, and I, I remember one instance. I, I asked him not to do something. If I'm honest with you, I I can't, I can't actually remember what that thing was. Um, obviously, there's been more than one occasion i asked him not to do something. But on this particular occasion, when I asked him why he did what I asked him not to do, Jonah's response was. I don't know, I can't help it. And literally when he said that, it just took me straight back to Romans 7, to that that tussle that Paul has with, with the flesh and the spirit, where he's like, ah, the good thing I want to do, I don't do, I end up doing the thing that I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, like, who can save me from this body of death? And he goes on and ultimately finds hope in Jesus Christ, who has paved the way for our salvation. But I just said to Jonah, look, you're in good company. Like, if I'm really, really honest, like, yeah, I, I kind of get it, like, I've been there. You're obviously dealing with that right now. And the apostle Paul, Paul, who has gone before us, has dealt with that as well. But I guess what the book of Job wants to do is really illustrate to us that Satan, the accuser, as Hebrew would say, the accuser, the adversary can be directly at work in the suffering that we face. And we can't walk away from that. I mean, the Bible really does paint that picture and make it clear that he's called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4:4. He's also seen in 1 Peter 5:8 as that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Paul, when he's advising and encouraging Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26, he says this. He says, Timothy, he wants to instruct, he wants to teach and he wants to admonish. But who does he call Timothy to teach, instruct and admonish? He calls those who have been taken captive to do Satan's will. And so there are many more scriptures that talk about the dark works of the enemy and how he can directly oppose the work of God. But I guess we do see in the book of Job that the enemy, Satan, the accuser, is directly involved. He's in many ways the architect of Job's suffering. He's out to get him. Well, as we are so... Aware of the problem of evil in our world and Satan's influence, what we would do well to do is not to overemphasise the work of Satan. Because what we do find in this text, very, very clear, is that God is in control, in absolute control. And that Satan can do nothing without the permission of God. But also, we don't want to dismiss Satan as if to say he doesn't exist and that all of the problems of this world are down to the flesh or down to just the corruptness of this world there is an adversary who is out to get us. And it's important that we are aware of that, but all the while remembering that God is sovereign and that he is in control. I mean, Jesus, when he is speaking to Simon, before he is arrested and crucified, he says this, which is just so, so powerful. He says in Luke chapter 22, 31, he says this, Simon, 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 Simon," he says, satan has asked to sift you like wheat the imagery is drastic isn't it to sift you like wheat but what does jesus say i have prayed for you that what that your faith may not fail you and when you have turned back or in other words when you have repented then i want you to go and strengthen the brothers so we know as believers for those of us who have put our faith in jesus that we will have tests And we'll have trials and suffering will come through all of us and it's going to be a challenge. It will come. And I guess what Job really illustrates, which we'll come to see later, is that regardless of whether you are in a wealthy, secure and stable position or not, suffering can still come. And when it does, there might be times where you feel like walking away, like it's all too much. You can't deal with it. But I guess what Jesus wants to do when he's specifically speaking to Simon is that he wants to encourage us to hold on and to keep the faith and don't give up. And I love the encouragement because a lot that we can draw from that encouragement from Christ. But I guess what is important to say is that we have to reject this idea of karma. It's belief that good things happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people. Because although that has some validity, I mean, we can look at, for example, we can look at the passage in Galatians 6 that you, you reap what you sow. We, we get that, but it doesn't give us the full picture of the work of God. And we can and we can really we need to actually reject the idea of exceptionalism and privilege that somehow we should only get good things out of this world and only good things out of this life because sometimes somehow we're deserving of it, which actually isn't true. What the Bible does say in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is this, is that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts, they're just higher than our thoughts there's something about the wisdom of God that is just beyond us. It is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our understanding. But it's important that we begin to even grasp the idea that it is beyond us so that we can see where we fit in and the humility that we have to take up. Now, as we track back, we realise that in the passage of Ephesians 2, there's something else at the bottom of that passage that we haven't read just yet, which is really, really key and really, really important. Because we know that the end is not with Satan in any way being victorious. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 because we know that the flesh, the world and the devil can conspire to cause untold issues in this world. We know that we were set. They said of us that because of our desires and our nature, we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But verse four is this pinnacle moment, this transformative moment where we see God really step in and break into our existence to bring about change. And what does it say? It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. I absolutely love that because it reminds us of the message of Simon that Jesus said. He said, look, Simon, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail you and that when you turn, when you repent, I want you to restore the brothers. Jesus is saying, even if you mess up, this is not the end. There is restoration and there is usefulness for you. And in Ephesians 2, it's reminding us that that God steps in when 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 our flesh, when Satan and when the sinfulness of the world tries to co-conspire to cause untold problems. But God, he breaks into that existence because he is beyond that. And he's able to bring about salvation for us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So therefore, we stand in the goodness of the grace of God and not a self-defeating karma. I guess one of the things I want to remind us is the fact that the enemy, the adversary can be at work in our suffering. We see right in the beginning of the book of Job that Job is a blameless man. He's an upright man. In verse three, as I'll read or just reference, actually, we see he's a wealthy man. He's described in the Bible as one of the greatest people in all of the East. So he he's a godly man. He's a wealthy man. And the second thing to note is that he doesn't encounter suffering because of anything that he has done. He hasn't committed any sin that has brought about this suffering. And that's important to note. I mean, what we do see in Satan is that he's very cynical. He thinks, you know what? You know what, God, if you take his wealth away from him, take his health away from him, take his family away, take everything away from him, and he'd curse you. And we see actually in the first two chapters a very noble Job because he doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He worships God in the midst of his suffering. And we see ultimately again that God is in control. And how do we know this? Well, I guess the Bible tells us. And what we do see is that, of course, God sanctions the conversation with Satan. God brings up Job in the first place. And not only does he do that, he limits the way in which Satan can even affect him in the first place. I mean, I know for many of us, walking through suffering can be difficult. It can be hard. We can, we can question ourselves and, and question God as well. And, and it's not an easy thing to navigate. Well I found it really really helpful speaking to some of the church folks some of the church folks that I've grown up with in previous generations who have walked through some of the real real most challenging forms of suffering really I mean I'll just mention a few things that have come up issues of immigration or financial issues premature death family or relational breakdown abandonment incarcerated children mental health issues alcoholism that like the list literally goes on and there was that question that I had in my mind, how do you keep going on in the midst of such suffering? And a phrase that came up multiple times when speaking with the older generation was, you have to keep on keeping on. And many of you might, I don't know, you might remember the 1970s Curtis Mayfield song, which, which has that title. But for me, I used to question that and think like, really, like, I don't really understand that phrase or see how that could be a mantra for life or even for the believer. I was very questionable. And it's not until I got a bit older, I started to understand that behind that for the believer was an unquestionable belief in the sovereignty of God. It was a desire to live a righteous life before God, a desire to love thy neighbor and a desire to have a deep rooted faith that was resilient. I mean, some of these guys had seen reconciliation that had taken decades to to be formed and to come about. Seen injustices that have been righted over many, many years, not weeks or months. And they've walked through many forms of pain and suffering, but ultimately have resided themselves to the fact that God is good. But also that his wisdom far supersedes ours. Which just something about the wisdom of God that they know is pure and true and holy and righteous, but beyond human understanding. And that's what makes him God and makes us humans and I guess with Job's noble statement at the end of chapter 1 verse 21 when he says naked I came into my mother's womb and naked I shall return the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away many of the older generation can understand where Job is coming from and reside themselves to the fact that God is sovereign and he is in control and we have limitations in our understanding and I guess Romans nine fifteen is helpful for us because it lets us know that that God in his wisdom will have mercy on who he will have mercy and he'll have compassion on whom he will have compassion and I guess as we've been able to get a glimpse into the kind of the ways in which the enemy has been working we've seen the behind the scenes of what's going on we're privy to what Job wasn't I want to speak into the issue of conspiracy theories In this pandemic, or within it, and just in in and around all of the issues and uh, things we've had to deal with as a society, I think there's been a a whole host of conspiracy theories that have popped up recently. And I'll name a couple. We've had the issue of five G and its links to COVID and radiation. We've had Bill Gates and funding around COVID. We've had this idea that COVID could have been cooked up in a lab somewhere. Or there's questions around vaccines, etc. There's so much more. I just want to say that. The reality is conspiracy theories can often come around when there is a mistrust in, in leadership. That's just a reality. And there are many communities, not least minority communities, the black community and others that have very good reason to have certain levels of mistrust. And it's, it's important to acknowledge that because otherwise we dismiss all theories as ludicrous and never get to the root issues of the hurt, pain and injustices that can and do very much exist. I guess, but that being said, we've seen the behind the scenes. We know that the enemy can be at work. And Tim Keller has a brilliant quote, which I think is really helpful for us. And he says this, he says, the focus on corporate sin leads to fatalism and irresponsibility. The reality of corporate sin does not cover up moral responsibility, nor does individual responsibility disprove the reality of corporate evil. To deny either is to, is to adopt one of the secular views of justice rather than the biblical one. And so what do we do? We look at Job chapter 2. We see after all of the suffering that he endures, after all that he goes through, he loses his cattle, his livestock, his family. Everything is taken away in quite dramatic way in chapter 1. We didn't read all of it, but you can read and see everything that is taken away in quite remarkable circumstances. His wife basically says to him, "Look, you might as well just curse God and die. Like you've lost so much, what is the point of trying to continue?" And Job holds on to his integrity. In the first two chapters, he definitely does do that. Oh, one prominent rabbi, Rabbi Weisblum, he says this about Job, the book of Job. Even. He says that, he says, Job, you're not guilty. You did nothing wrong. He argues that that is the premise of the book, that ultimately the book of Job is not actually about Job, but rather it's about the wisdom of God. He even goes as far as say that Job is not the main character, but actually it's all about God. It's all about his almighty wisdom and how we are incapable of fully understanding it. I guess 1 Corinthians 13, 12 reminds us that we see through a glass darkly. We don't see the full picture. And Job, the book of Job, helps us to understand how much we don't understand. So how do we respond? How do we respond to the fact that Job was blameless, that Satan is a true conspirator and that Satan cannot operate outside of God's sovereignty? Well, we acknowledge that Satan has been disarmed and Jesus wins. So we know that Satan has been kicked out of the heavenly courts. Um, Luke ten eighteen reminds us that Satan has been cast out. Jesus has paid it all for us. And if we look at Colossians 2, I mean, it gives us further encouragement. And what does it say to us? I'm going to read it out here. It reminds us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. In the uncircumcision of our flesh, very similar to Ephesians 2. But what does it say about the work of Christ? It says that Christ has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set that aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. That is good news. That is good news because what that does in the context of the book of Job, for those who have put their faith in Christ, it allows us to know that Satan has been defeated, that he's on a leash, that he is limited in his power. And Christ has won our victory. Satan is defeated. Jesus wins. We can be so confident of that truth. And of course, we know John 16, 33, suffering will come. Jesus tells us that trouble will come, but take heart. He has overcome. He is an overcomer. And we know again, yes, Satan is like a roaring lion. He is trying to devour people, but he has already been destined for destruction. You see, we know how the story ends. We know that God wins. God has already won and he is allowing us to live victorious lives, even though we have to walk through the difficulty and the challenge of suffering now i want to say yes to the issue of conspiracy theories some have some validity and merit but again we don't want to have an over preoccupation because we want to remember that god is sovereign he's in control jesus wins satan has been defeated and god can work through all scenarios all eventualities and all situations and so as we kind of come towards the end of the second chapter of Job, I mean, what we do see, which is startling, is that we see that Job is, is obviously going through it, isn't he? And there's a moment where his wife says to him, look, Job, <laughs> essentially you've lost so much. Why don't you just curse God and die? And he doesn't do that. He wants to hold on to his integrity. And as we fast forward through the book, we don't have time to go through all of it. We see Job has some dialogue, multiple dialogues with unhelpful friends that are trying to kind of get to the question of suffering and why this may or may not have occurred and trying to insinuate that Job has to have done something wrong. And we get to this moment where Job even has this interaction with God again. But what I love is that what God does, which is so, so helpful and powerful, is that he gives us this moment where in a world when he exposes Job to a little inclination, a sort of unveiling of of God's reality where Job gets to see the bigger picture and he's blown away and he is humbled. And what we see is that he gets a glimpse of, of God's reality. There's a quote from the Bible Project and I'm going to read it out and it says this, it says, God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He is dynamically interacting with the whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And that is what he calls the wisdom of God. So in Christ, we know how the story ends. God wins, the enemy is defeated, the just live by faith. And if you've already put your faith in Christ to the issue of suffering, I want to lift our eyes to Jesus who has conquered it all, who has laid the enemy to public spectacle, public shame. We can trust in Christ. Why? Because he is the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God because he brought about a salvation that is foolishness to many people, but is the wisdom of God. We can be confident that when we were alienated and we were apart from God, he brought us near. He brought us very near to him, so near to the point that he adopted us. We are now sons and daughters of the most high God. That is where we stand God in Christ has the last word to sin, death, and to suffering. And in John 19:30, what does it say? It is finished. Christ tells us that on the cross that it is finished. He is dealt with that. And his resurrection, his promised return, gives us hope now and also hope in the future. Well, if you've got more questions and you want to Think more about the topic of suffering. Why don't you join an alpha course and find out more about the Christian faith and the issues of suffering? But but what I want to do for us now is to pray for us. Father God, I, I thank you that you are in control. I thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of Job's pain and Job's suffering, you were with him and you were in control. Lord, I thank you that even though the enemy, Lord, he's tried to seek to devour us, Lord, but you stand in, in solidarity with us. You pray for us. You intercede for us. And Lord God, I do pray that you give us the strength to be overcomers. And in the midst of all we're going through, I pray you give us strength to stand. And Lord God, I pray that you bless us, that we will support and care for one another. And that we would know ultimately that we are free from persecution. We are free from the enemy's accusation because of what Christ has done on the cross. Yes, we will encounter and have to navigate through suffering, but we don't do it alone. We do it with the Christ, Jesus Christ, Son of God, our refuge and our present help in time of trouble. Amen.